friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I'm Nika Spaulding, and we are finishing up Lamentations chapter two today. And so we're going to look at the last two verses of this chapter. And so Lamentations 2, 20 through 22. See, O Lord, and look, to whom have you acted thus? Should women eat their fruit, the dandled babes? Should priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the master? They lay on the ground in the streets, lad and elder. My virgins and my young men fell by the sword. You slew them on the day of your wrath. You slaughtered, had no mercy. You called in, as on festival days, my neighbors from all around. And on the day of the Lord's wrath, there was neither refuge nor survivor. Those whom I dandled and raised up, my enemy destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. If I were writing a commentary on the book of Lamentations, I would title this little portion Shock and Ra'ah, which is a play on the word shock and awe, uh, because it's, just, it's shocking and it's meant to be. And Ra'ah is actually a Hebrew word means to see, which is the, the, how she starts this thing. She's like, hey, would you Ra'ah and Nabat, which is her way of saying, would you see and would you consider that Ra'ah means to see and Nabat means to see with attentiveness or to consider. And so if you remember, we've got cool distant narrator chapter one daughter zion like lamenting in the streets then chapter two we've got narrator being like yep nope you're right god absolutely did this then in the last section it was very emotive but if you remember how it ends he's like turn to god turn to god and don't stop crying out day and night sister and that's exactly like we go from the end of that 19 and she's like all right hey god look at me and so it's an amazing response, right? He's giving her this, this encouragement, this counsel of like, hey, don't stop crying out to God. And then all of a sudden she's like, great. And her voice interjects into our poetry in such a firm and shocking way that we immediately know daughter Zion is doing what he said. And she's like, fine. And so it's a continual theme of hers that we've had from the beginning. She just wants God to look at her. And so, like I said, we start with shock and ra'ah. Ra'ah is to see and nabat is to consider it with attentiveness. And then the shocking part is what comes next. So she's like, God, look at me because she's trying to get him to see just how shocking and awful it really is. And so the first thing that she says is, should women be eating their own babies? The way that Alter says it, he's like, should they, women eat their fruit, the dandled babes, as if to say like the fruit of the women, their own offspring, should women really eat them? And there's, there's some commentators are like, hey, we're not sure if cannibalism was really happening. Or if this is an homage to, in Deuteronomy 28, um, in Deuteronomy it talks about what curses will fall upon a nation who refuses their covenant faithfulness. And one of those curses is cannibalism. And so there are some commentators are like, no, she's just referencing that language. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what to think of it. All I know is it is shocking, right? To think about that, I don't, as a parent, and it's most likely not, and the commentators are like, even if women were actually eating their babies, what is most likely happening is the babies have starved to death. And so the mom, you know, desperate times, she chooses to engage in that so that she herself can survive. So we're going to talk about shocking. Like you're meant, like, as I'm saying this out loud, I am uncomfortable. If you were watching me record this, you would see, I am not, I am not comfortable talking about this. This is so horrific. It makes me uncomfortable and it should make you uncomfortable. So if you're like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to think about this. That's the point. Because that's how you know things have gotten so bad. 
And then she goes on after talking about moms eating their own baby. She talks about priests have been killed in the temple. And so, y'all, the temple, I don't think I have to say this, but it is so sacred. And part of the sacredness is there's all these laws that allow for a priest to even be pure to go, not pure, but clean and unclean. These are the categories that we have in the scriptures. Now, being unclean wasn't necessarily morally wrong. Like we always, like, I think when I was growing up, I always thought like, oh, if you're unclean, that's bad because you can't go in the temple. And that's not... That's not really what it is. The, the clean and the unclean laws really refer to there are things that bring life and those things that bring death. And those those bodily fluids that do that, so like menstrual blood, that's that correlates to life. Semen discharge, that correlates to life. Death correlates to death. And these life and death things, there's a way to make you clean after you've come into contact with these life and death things. That's why a woman, after she has her period, she can bathe and she has these periods of uncleanliness and uncleanliness. It's not morally wrong. There's nobody in the ancient world who's like, oh, you're on your period? Okay, you're a bad person for the next week. Like, that's that's not how that works. But the priests, in order to go into the temple, like, there was just the cleanliness laws for, like, the normal, like, run-of-the-mill people. And then you have the cleanliness laws that apply to the priests. So you can imagine, like, there were actual rituals and all these things, including, like, let's say a priest had a ejaculation in the middle of the night. That happens. Physiologically, that happens. N- not because he was necessarily doing anything wrong. He would have to go through a bathing procedure to make himself clean again to go into the temple. If, let's say, a priest was getting ready to come and serve in his time as his priestly duties at the temple, but his father passed away and he had to bury his father, that would make him unclean for, I believe it's seven days. And then he would have to bathe and all that. So he wouldn't be able to fulfill his priestly duties. So what I'm saying here is like the amount of of respect and consideration the temple was given to make sure that it was a holy place, a place fit for God to come down, meant that all the people who participated and came to the temple, both outsiders who came for festivals, including men, women, and children, and insiders who performed the work of priests, the priests and and the Levites and the high priests and all that, the amount of respect and revere they gave that, then to have this shocking statement that the priests were killed in the sanctuary. That is insane. I mean, like the violation of God's temple, like for the Babylonians to be like, we care so little for your relationship with the Lord that we are going to slaughter them in the sanctuary. That that like reveals just how reviled it, the Judea, Judaites, the Jerusalemites had become to the Babylonians. And then he goes on, and it's interesting, the daughter of Zion's like, hey, it doesn't matter if they're young or old, so lad or elder is how elder says it. And then she's like, hey, my 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 virgins and my young men, in other words, like these really like young, innocent people are being murdered in the streets by the Babylonians. And it's almost like there's an anti-festival going on. So the festivals, again, Passover, Pentecost, these festivals, what it was is people would come over, come in to Jerusalem from all over, wherever they were living at the time. They would come in, they would do these festivals. They would often last a week. They were really joyful and joyous times to celebrate God, to worship God, to do it in a communal setting. And they would come up these roads because all roads lead up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's up on a hill from wherever you're coming. So you would sing these psalms of ascent. You would climb up to the hill. It was an amazing, joyful, beautiful, celebratory, honoring God time. And there's like an anti-festival because she says to him, she's like, you called in on festival days. Like you called in as if it were a festival days, my neighbors from all around. Like you did an anti-festival. 
You brought in the outsiders not to worship and declare your goodness and to celebrate and heartily unto the Lord. You brought in the neighbors to bring in destruction. Like you created an anti-festival. That's shock and ra'ah. That is look and see all that she is saying is deeply shocking and uncomfortable. And it speaks to just how bad it was when Babylon comes in. Um, And then the last thing I want you to point out, though, in this, so we've got the narrator, he's like, hey, cry out to God. And she's like, oh, I'll cry out to God, all right. Hey, look at me. And then as she's like trying to get him to look at him, she's like saying shocking things because she's trying to stir him to activity. And the thing I want to point out about this is there's such complexity here. Okay, so think about it. She blames God. Now, that's not to say she doesn't also blame herself, okay? that's what makes it so complex. Yes, it's my fault. Yes, I did these things. Yes, my prophets failed me. Yes, I was an adulterous woman. Yep. But also, you did these things. You threw our our things around. It's never, look at what Babylon did, God. Maybe you didn't know how bad it was going to be. Maybe you didn't realize what was happening. Maybe you were like, ooh, I just want to slap her on the wrist, so I'm going to let Babylon come in, and I made a deal with Babylon, and then Babylon did what Babylon always does, which was absolute wreaking havoc, and my bad. Like, it's not like she's tattling to God, being like, you don't you don't know. She knows because she's not tattling to God about Babylon. She is saying all the things that Babylon did, God it was the one that actually did it. It's crazy. And yet, look at what she's trying to do. She's trying to shock him into action. The very God who allowed and did all these things, according to her, is the same God that she was like, if I could just get you to see it, if I can just get you to see it, I know it will provoke you to action. So what what am I pointing out here, the complexity of this? Despite the, the tension in the relationship between daughter Zion and God and Yahweh, there's tension there. It's tension if you are a Hannah Gatsby fan, there's tension here. And despite that, she still believes in the character of God because she still believes that deep down inside, in God's character, in his heart of hearts, if he saw that moms were eating their children, if he saw that priests were slain in the temple, if he saw that young and old are dying in the streets, that would move him to action. And that's what I want to point out. It's like, this is so complex. This is why this book is so hard to teach. It's why every time I finish a podcast, I second guess myself. I'm like, are y'all going to get anything out of this? This is weird. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable right now. Like as I'm going through Lamentations, because I'm like, I feel like I want to rescue us from the tension. That's what I want to do every time. I want to be like, yeah, but listen, guys, even though she's blaming God, God is always good. And you can trust that. And you know, God's going to be there for her and the story's not over because then he's going to send his own son. You want to talk about a God who cares and, oh, he knows what it's like for to lose a child because he knows what those mothers felt because he's going to lose his, like, and I'm even doing it now in my, like, sarcastic voice. I'm relieving tension right now as I'm talking to you. I'm relieving tension and I shouldn't be doing that. I should be leaving us in the tension. And that is my point is I'm going to try my best to stop rescuing us because this is lament. It is so human. It is so relational. Daughter Zion and Yahweh have a relationship and we're seeing it. So I want you to imagine it's like a husband and a wife, right? A wife is so mad at her husband because, I don't know, she needs more from him. 
She's like, hey, you don't tell me I'm pretty anymore. You don't go out of your way anymore. Our anniversary was last week and you bought me some wilted flowers that I know you got at CVS because these are not the good ones from Tom Thumb. And you scribbled on a card that frankly, I'm not even sure it was an anniversary card. I think you just found some old stationery in your top desk drawer because you had an oak crud moment at work and I'm mad at you. But notice what she's doing is she's not going to someone else to fix it. She's not complaining to her girlfriends, which she might do that also. She's not going to some other man to fix it, which she could do that if she's dumb, right? But she's going to the very person who she's blaming for her pain. Why? Because that's how you work through relationship. I can be both mad at you and hopeful that you're going to fix it. I can come to you mad and tell you all the things that I'm blaming you for because I want you to actually fix these things. Because I believe that deep down inside, if you knew how I felt, you would respond. That if I said, I think you're being a cruddy husband, you're not giving me enough I believe somewhere deep down inside that though you have failed recently that you want to be a good husband and it's like y'all it's like daughter Zion is saying to God I I think deep down inside you still want to be a good God and I think that you are and we're not okay right now I am not okay and it's mostly my fault but I'm still gonna blame you and I'm going to keep crying out to you. And I deep down inside believe that if I tell you what's really going on down here, I believe that will cause, like, I believe like that husband is like, babe, you're right. You're right. My bad. And hey, are you free next week? And I got you a dress and I'm going to take you to our favorite restaurant. And, and you're right. And I got a babysitter and I haven't, you're right. And I need to do better. Right, that's, that's what you feel like daughter Zion's almost wanting. That, that Yahweh's like, you're right. You're right, I did do these things. Because you refused to listen to me and I had to get your attention. I had to do something because I can't let injustice go on forever. I had to do something, daughter Zion. So now that I have your attention, listen to me. I still love you. And that's me relieving tension. But anyways, that's the feeling that you get. And so what's my point in all this? This is what lament looks like. Go all the way back to the intro. What I tell you is lament. It's more or less a turning to God, bringing your complaint, asking for help, and in some of the laments ending, though, with a voicing of trust. Not all do. And certainly Daughter Zion, we don't really get that. But in, inherent in the fact that she doesn't declare her trust in him, it's understood, though, because she's bringing it to him. Notice when the narrator says to her, hey, turn and give your complaints to God. Cry out to him day and night. Who can rescue you, daughter Zion? Who could possibly lift your head up from these, this dust? Notice she doesn't turn to the narrator and go, I know, right? This is awful. Would you help me? I hate him. Ugh. No, what does she do? She immediately turns to God. Look at me. Look and consider these things. There's shocking things happening down here and I'm turning to you like you do in the lament and I'm naming my petition to you and I'm asking you for help. And though I'm not outwardly saying I trust you, which would make everybody feel a lot more comfortable at the end of Lamentations too, especially Nika, who's teaching it, I'm not gonna say it, but you know what is inherent in me turning to you is that somewhere deep down inside of me, I still believe we have a relationship and I still believe you care. That's lament. It's not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of trust. It's not a lack of the belief in the character of God. It is a human response to say, I'm hurting and things are going to fly out of my mouth. That I don't know. Maybe if I had better theology and my heart weren't broken, I maybe wouldn't say them. I don't know. I might be able to clarify more specifically who I'm mad at or why I'm frustrated. 
But you know what happens after your sister takes her life? You know what's going to happen is you're going to hear stories of people who considered suicide and they either didn't do it or God intervened. And you know what? That's not going to comfort you. It's going to be this moment where you look at God and go, why didn't you? Why didn't you? With her, why didn't you? And it doesn't mean I don't trust him. It's because I trust him I ask these things. It's because I know him to be a good God. It's because I know him to be a gracious God. It's because I've known him as a rescuer. It's because I've known him as the one in those dark moments who shows up at the last second and saves the day. It's because of who he is that I turn to him and go, why didn't you? And yet I trust you and I love you and I'm hurting, so help me. That's what lament is. It's not a lack of trust, but it's complex and it's confusing and there's tension. There's tension and we as humans should learn to live in the tension and we want to rescue from it. But if over and over again, God leaves lament in his scripture, it means not only does he give us permission to live in that tension, but maybe there's something that makes us more human when we do it, more honest, more willing to lean into that relationship with God. Because you know what the wife who's frustrated with her husband and turns them and says, I need more from you. Do you know what she ultimately wants, though, is more of him. She wants a healthy marriage. She wants a great relationship. Now, are there good ways and bad ways to communicate that to spouses? Yeah, I'm not. I'm, this is not a one-to-one equivocation here. But what we want when we turn to God is ultimately more of him and more of us in him. And if we can learn to lament and lament in such a way that we get more of that relationship, then that's a gift that God is giving to us is the language of lament. All right, friends, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But more importantly, God is crazy about you. Even in those tense moments, I know I'm rescuing again. I know I'm relieving tension, but God loves you. Peace.